0: As we come this morning, we are turning to Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And in this process, we are studying... The, the passage that speaks to slaves on how they are to conduct themselves. Now within the family situation and setting of this culture, of this time, there indeed would be a house full of people. And within the households, there would have been all kinds of generations, various people. There would have been grandparents and parents and children running around. There would have been aunts and uncles and cousins and all kinds of extended family. And even within those family situations, there would have been those who would have been slaves. And those slaves within that that context would have actually been, at times, part of the family. They would have been brought in and brought close to that family. And the word that is used for slave or bond slave here in Titus chapter 2 verse 9 is the Greek term douloi. And that refers to one who is under submission who is under bondage. And we're well aware that the Roman society within its heyday was built upon the backs of slave labor. There is estimated somewhere between 50 to 60 million slaves would have existed within that context. And that, so there was a very plentiful uh, provision of slaves in this culture. And those slaves came from every nation, from every tribe, from every social level. Many of them were becoming Christians and they were getting involved in churches and surely it would have arisen within the church. How do we address these slaves? What is their part to play? How do we address their place in society. It is true that many slaves within that society would have been mistreated. They indeed were abused and beaten. Some of them were even brutalized and killed. But on the other hand, slavery was for some a means of gainful employment. It was actually a benefit and a blessing. They were brought under the protection of a gracious, loving master's household. They were loved for. They were cared for. And even as a result, there were some within that day, within that society, who gave themselves over to be slaves of other men they chose as it were slavery as a vocation And often these slaves would be allowed to marry and to have his own family, and the landowner very often might provide a little cottage, a little house, and then also a plot of land so that they might be be blessed and that they might raise uh, goods for themselves and for their families. And so as it were, we see that Roman slaves were often treated as employees. They were even given at times fringe benefits, and they were often taken care of in very practical ways now allow me to clarify something paul is not speaking to the issue of the morality of slavery in this passage he is speaking to the issue of the reality of slavery it was a reality within that that community within that context and so he is not speaking as to the rightness or wrongness of slavery he is speaking to the rightness and the the wrongness of the christian witness in the midst of the relationship of slavery And so it simply says that if you are employed especially in this manner, in this way, then the Christian has an obligation at every every moment of life to live their lives in such a way as to draw attention to the saving power of our great and gracious God that has been demonstrated through us in the gospel. Indeed, it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, He looks and He says, listen, let your light so shine among men... that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, when a slave came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He was made new. Behold, all all things had passed away. Behold, all things had become new. So that He now was a witness. He was one who was supposed to go out and proclaim sound doctrine. Can you just imagine for a moment, what a shock, what a surprise, when a slave walked into the house of the Master and acted in such a way, lived their lives in such a way that God's grace permeated the midst of that household. Indeed, when an employee today receives Jesus Christ and encounters Him and endeavors to live his life for Jesus Christ, then he or she begins to work for a new boss. And that new boss is not the guy down the hall. It's not the guy upstairs. It's not the lady on the fifth floor. It's the King, Jesus Christ. They have the opportunity of clearly and attractively living out the Christian message before their bosses, fellow employees, and community on a daily basis. The great concern of this passage indeed is not the moral rightness or wrongness of the institution of slavery, but rather it is the surpassing issue of the righteousness of our lives and the witness of every action and attitude within our hearts and lives. See, that's what God is after. Cause He, see, He doesn't always change your situations and circumstances when you get saved, when you become a new creation, but He always changes you and He prepares you to face the situations and circumstances that have come before you so that you might be a witness for the gospel and that you might make an impact in the midst of the community. So you may be here today and say, well, What in the world does God have to say about my work relationship? What does He care how I work? Well, you may be asking that question. How would God have me conduct myself as a Christian in the midst of the workplace? And in this section, originally addressed to the Christian slaves on the island of Crete, Paul lays down some intensely practical principles that are to guide us in our workplace and employment as well. Some principles that indeed are just as relevant Here in the 21st century for those who are employees as they were in the first century for those who are slaves for our work ethic and our witness should show we are willing workers for God's glory. We are willing workers for God's glory. And so as we take this passage of the Bible and we study together, let me ask you today, how do you play, how do you approach your place of employment? How do you approach your manager? How do you approach your boss? How do you approach those who are given authority over you? Are you negative? Are you always detracting and pulling back? Or are you a willing worker for the glory of God in the midst? Of your workplace, let's stand now and let's read Titus chapter two verses nine and ten. Let's stand in honor of the reading of this God's holy and inspired word. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Father, we come to you today acknowledging our sin, acknowledging our need for you, but also acknowledging that, Father, you desire to use us, to guide us, and, Father, to make an impact within the context of our community and world. Lord, we pray that you would change us and transform us by the power of the gospel so that we might be your witnesses, Father, within this community, within our homes, within our families, within our workplaces and schools, so that, Father, as people come into contact with us, they would really come into contact with you. Father, change us, and ch- change us by the power of the Holy Spirit as we encounter your word today. For we pray now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see within this passage that as a Christian, our work ethic is to be an adornment. It is to be a witness to the beauty of God's redeeming grace in our life. If there's one thing that ought to adorn, that ought to make beautiful, that ought to be an ornament on God's grace, it's the life that we live after we've experienced it. We indeed ought to be people whose very lives, whose very lips are filled with the praises of God because of the transforming work He has done for us in Jesus Christ the fact that He has removed the penalty of sin, which is death, and given to us that gift which is greater than all other gifts, eternal life. St. Francis of Assisi, he said it this way, Indeed, we ought to preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. St. Augustine said it in this way, Let the acts of the offspring indicate similarity to the Father. We can preach a better sermon oftentimes with our lives than we ever could with our lips. Isn't that true? That the testimony of our lives oftentimes will penetrate the hearts of those that we may never be able to speak to with our lips. Indeed, it ought to be true for every one of us that our behavior ought to reflect our beliefs. And as we live out our lives, people should know we are Christians not just because of what we say, but even because of how we live. And so today we are going to look at this passage and we are going to see that we need to be willing workers for God's glory in the context of our lives. And we are going to address the issues of the how and why of the Christian workers' witness. First of all, how we are to have a good testimony how are we to live how are we to work how are we to fulfill this by having a good testimony in the workplace why are we to do it not so that they can see us not so that they can make much of us not simply so that we can get a pay grade, grade increase but so that they might glorify our father who is in heaven And so let us look here in this passage and let us see that our work ethic is to be an adornment and witness to the beauty of God's redeeming grace that has been given to us in our lives. First of all, in verses nine and 10, the how of a Christian worker's witness, the how of a Christian worker's witness. Here in this passage, Paul gives five basic commands, five encouragements, five exhortations to these slaves on how to live out their life. And he goes to them and he says, Hey, listen, it doesn't matter really who your employer is or what they are like. It doesn't matter if they're Christian or non-Christian, if they're good or bad, if they're fair or unfair. doesn't really matter. And that's the issue of America, right? We we say, well, I'll treat them right as long as they treat me right. Well, no, that's not what Paul says in this passage. He says nothing of who the master is. He simply says to the worker, he says, listen, you are to do these five things. And first of all, he says that you are to be submissive. He says that you are to be submissive in all things. The Greek word for this word submit is the word hupotasso, Hupotasso. And it is often used as a military term, meaning to get into rank, to yield to or to line up under. Guys that are out there at Seymour Johnson, do you know what that word to fall into place means? Fall in, line up, get it right. Stand under the authority that is that is over you. Understand that you have a proper place. And so the Apostle Paul is urging that the slaves understand that ultimately God is over all things and He has given some men to serve and some men to be served. And because of the place that these slaves would encompass, that they would actually embrace it and say, listen, I'm willing to fall in line. I'm willing to submit. I'm willing to yield to the authority God has given Now, understand, he's saying under the pretense of those things that are morally correct, those things that are according to sound doctrine. Paul is asking them to yield to their bosses when their bosses do not contradict the words and the commands of God. He is saying, listen, as long as there is no contradiction, you are to yield to those who are over you. You are to yield so that there would not be any interpersonal conflict or power struggle within the workplace. Now, the best example you can have is that little triangle sign that you see riding down the road, don't you? You ride down the road, and there you come upon that upside-down triangle, and it says, yield. Yield. And why is that sign there? That sign is most often there so that the driver slows down and understands another driver has the right-of-way so that at any moment in time, there would be an avoidance of any head-on collisions. And so what we're seeing here, what we're understanding here is that Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are to yield yourself so that there wouldn't be any head on collisions, so that there wouldn't be any power struggles in the midst of the workplace. You, if you are given a place of service in the workplace, you are to serve well. Indeed. It is a simple and reasonable, gracious command to let the others have the right-of-way and avoid interpersonal head-on collisions. Paul doesn't identify if these masters are Christian or non-Christian. The only exception, as I said before, would be when their command, the earthly commands of your earthly commander would contradict the heavenly commands of our Heavenly Father. And so, whether they are difficult people, or whether they are the most loving, gracious, and godly people you have ever met, it matters not... In all things, we are to have an attitude of submission, of yielding, because it ultimately honors Christ. But secondly, not only are we to be submissive, but we are also to be excellent. We are to be those who are well-pleasing to our masters. This quality underscores Christian excellence in the midst of the workplace. Indeed, Paul calls the Cretans to excellence rather than to mediocrity. He doesn't say, hey, just go along to get along. Just slide by and make sure that, you know, you fit in with the culture. Do you you just slide along and do as little work as possible and get as much pay as possible. Isn't that the American goal? That seems to be the American dream as of late. I'm going to go along. I'm just going to slide by and I'm going to do as little as possible to get as much as possible. But Paul says, listen, don't let that mediocrity become the defining point of your life. Excellent means doing your best. Excellence means being your best. Excellence means bringing up your pattern of production so that it is indeed the, the greatest potential that you have. Excellence means doing better tomorrow than I did today. Excellence means that I am actually doing a good job no matter what I am doing and I am seeking to do it in such a way that I would glorify God. I don't wait for something someone else to establish a pattern, to establish a standard or set the pace. Listen, if you are a Christian and you are in the workplace, who is to establish the pattern? Who is to set the standard? Who is to set the pace? We are. We are. Because we've been given the grace of God and now we work with all of our might because after all, all of our might has been given by God Himself. Indeed, Everyone will see and know us. But the point is not to be seen and known. The point is to be seen and known and be witnesses of the transforming power and work of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So whether you do something in word or deed, who are you doing it for? God. Not man, verses twenty-two and following. And Paul addresses in Colossians three twenty-two through twenty-four: slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, not with eye service, not with lip service, not just outwardly obeying, but actually inwardly, as those who as those who with sincerity of heart. Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Let me ask you, tomorrow morning when you get up and you roll out of bed and you get to your workplace and your workstation and you begin to sit down and say, well, you know what, I'm just going to sit back and relax. I've earned it. eh? They're living high on the hog. I don't have quite as much stuff as they do. I'm just going to sit back and relax and let it go on what should you remember? It is the Lord Christ whom we serve. And our work is actually an extension of our witness. It ought to be a constant aim of Christian employees to give their employer satisfaction. We ought to seek to be well-pleasing in every way to our employer so that our excellent work ethic testifies of a changed and transformed life by the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. Thirdly, not only are we to be those who are submissive and excellent, but we are to be those who are respectful, those who are not argumentative, as the text says. The idea is not to be obstinate. It's not to stand there and speak back, to talk back, to resist, or to thwart, or to reject, or to rebel against authority by being disobedient. But rather... We are to be those who are well-pleasing, who are compliant, who are respectful. You don't like what the overseer told you and so you don't do it or you only do it halfway so that it might fail and ultimately he might see that really you were right to begin with because if he had just listened to you, you told him you didn't want to do it. You told him you weren't going to do it. You told him it was going to fail if you were given the task to do. And now you've made You've made that task fail. And now you go back with an attitude of resistance and rebellion. That does not fit the Christian. Now, if there's a proper form for discussion, then pursue it. Take it up. If there's a proper structure for dialogue in which you can share your ideas, your insights, and your wisdom, do it. But listen, once your manager makes the decision and he gives you the task to do, he gives you the marching orders, listen, you are not to do it half-heartedly. You are not to go around and talk and be argumentative and, well, I wish you wouldn't tell me to do it that way. I wish you wouldn't tell me to do it the other way. You are to do it and you are to do it well and you are to make sure that in everything God is glorified by the respect you show for the authority he has put over you. To be cheeky and rude and surly, to go around complaining when told to do something is forbidden to the Christian. For God requires that we not only do the work that we are given, but we do it in the right spirit, in the right way, with the right heart, knowing that actually our work is an extension of our witness for God and our worship of Him. Fourthly, we are to be honest. We are to be honest. We are not to be those who pilfer, who, those who would steal or take that which is not ours. They, indeed, the Christians were not to be known as, as those who would steal or take something that didn't belong to them. They weren't to be those who would take home rolls of toilet paper or, you know, t- take home supplies from the office, pens and pads of paper and all kinds of stuff. They weren't to be those who would take the extra cash or, well, you know, these few pennies really don't matter to this multitude million dollar corporation. I think I'll just take those. It it doesn't really matter. They'll never miss this or that or the other thing. The Charleston West West Virginia Gazette tells the story when James Dent uh, rights of two butchers that opened up a butcher shop in the town and they opened up that butcher shop and it began to grow, it began to expand and one day that butcher, that, the butchers went to an evangelistic meeting and as they heard that evangelist speaking, one of those butchers was moved to repentance and to receive Christ as Lord in his life. He gave his heart, he gave his life to Christ and he began to witness to his other, but, the, his partner in the butcher business alas that butcher kept rejecting kept rejecting and finally the other butcher the christian butcher looked and he said why in the world will you not give your heart and life to christ charlie said listen lester if i get religion who's going to be the one to measure meat who's going to be the one to measure the meat you see the implication there It is a sad thing when our Christian testimony is compromised by the works of our hands and the ways of our lives. You can be on the job all you want talking about Jesus, humming hymns during your break, reading Christian books, but if somebody finds out that you've been tipping the scales, taking money, or cheating on your taxes, it will not be a matter of what you said that is important. It will be a matter of what you have done. They will conclude that your God is not a powerful God who can change and transform sinners into saints, but they will be convinced that the gospel is a lie and a sham. All because we are not honest in our dealings. Fifthly, We are not only to be honest, but we are also to be trustworthy. We are to show all good faith in every area and aspect of our life. In our work, we are to be dependable, faithful workers committed to the success of our boss, our fellow workers, and the businesses that employ us. We are to seek to to do things well and to be committed to them in such a way that they would trust every area of our life that they would know when they give you a job to do, a task to do, that you know what? He or she is going to do this job well. He's going to do it in a timely manner. He's going to do it in an excellent manner. He's not going to be argumentative with me. He's going to be honest and not cheat or or pad his expense account. He's going to do everything in such a way so that God is glorified and the company is blessed and benefited. Let me ask you in your life as you go into your place of employment, is that your goal do you have the goal to set the standard to set the bar to make sure that everybody sees and knows and understands that you have been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel of jesus christ that you are no longer yours but every word and every deed is done to glorify christ the great biblical character and example for this would be joseph For he was a slave there in the house of Potiphar, an Egyptian official. And the Lord so blessed him and helped him so that Potiphar eventually put him in charge of the whole household. There was nothing Potiphar had to worry about. In fact, in Genesis chapter 39, verse 6, it says, With Joseph in charge, Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Joseph was utterly trustworthy in every area of life. Indeed, he was a godly man who showed the grace of God to others and was a benefit and a blessing even in the midst of terrible situations and circumstances of life. Listen, as a seminary student, God blessed me with an opportunity to work with First Citizens Bank Security. I came on board as a first seminary student from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I worked there, and I was blessed and benefited because not only did they pay my monthly bills, but even they they went even... Even over and above that, they ended up paying almost 100% of my seminary education all the way through. And I tell you, God started to change my heart there. Because he showed me in the, port, the importance of the witness in the workplace. And when I began, I was one of the few Christians. There were probably less than four or five Christians in the workplace when I began. When when I left, I was so blessed and excited to look back upon my time there as we had seen many others become Christians. But in addition, we had seven more Southeastern students who were working there at First Citizens Bank Security. And the the uh, the manager of our division looked and said, Todd, send everybody that you can from there because they're the best that we have. That's the testimony of Christ in the midst of a world gone awry. Give ourselves fully to God and to His glory even in the midst of our work. See, Paul is anxious that Christian slaves should bear a similar character. We may differ from one another in terms of authorities, in terms of responsibilities, but listen, we all should show that we are trustworthy, that we are honest, that we are respectful, and that we are conscientious workers. Whatever the position that we occupy, whether it is cleaner or senior manager, it matters not. It matters how we approach it. God has given us the life and the health and the grace to be able to work, and we should do it wholeheartedly for Him. That is the how of the Christian worker's witness. But now, let us look quickly at the why of the Christian worker's witness. Why does this stuff matter? Why is it important that we would live in these ways? Well, there in verse 10, it says we are to show all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. See, He's explained at length how the how of the Christian worker's witness, but now he concludes with the why. So that your life, so that your work, so that your witness might adorn, make beautiful, show the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the community might come to know God our Savior. Indeed, it is most certainly the case that the people with whom and for whom we work need to hear the Gospel. Listen, they need to hear the Gospel. Our employers, our managers, our fellow workers need to hear the Gospel of God, our Savior. They need to hear about the transformation that Christ can make within the lives of sinners so that they might become saints, sons and daughters of the Most High. Indeed, we need to make the most of every opportunity God gives us to share the Gospel in the midst of the work. But listen, that's not where it's supposed to end. That's just a part of the beginning. Because listen, non-Christians in the workplace need more than just truth. They need to see it lived out compellingly in your life and in my life. You ever heard, doesn't matter how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We need to be people who would live that out in our lives. Indeed, they need, they need to see the difference, the lovely difference that Jesus has made within us. That is why we need to take these instructions to heart and by God's grace seek to put them into practice. That indeed is why we need to live out in the midst of our conduct, in the midst of our work. We need to seek to be witnesses to the truthfulness of the transforming nature of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what in the world is different in you? Why are you this way? Why are you different? why do you work so diligently why are you submissive why are you respectful why in the world are you not stealing when everybody else is doing it why in the world are you trustworthy in this way why are you honest why don't you bother with the things that the world is going after i don't bother because i have been delivered from the world see i found out one day that i was a sinner And I was a sinner separated from God in every way. And I needed a Savior. I needed a Savior named Jesus Christ who was sent by God. God in the human flesh come to live among us. And He lived a perfect and pure life. He deserved no evil. And yet, at the end of His life, men took Him and put Him on a cruel cross. There. In uh, there at the hill called Golgotha. And there He died. He paid the penalty for my sins. But praise God, on the third day He rose again so that indeed we might know He was the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And for everyone who repents of their sins and places their faith in Jesus Christ, they become sons and daughters of the Most High. Their debt of sin is forgiven. And they are transformed into saints. And now they live out a life that is a witness to the work of God in their hearts. And our lives are to show that in such a way that Matthew 5.16 very aptly describes it. Let your light so shine before men so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our lives ought to be an adornment to the gospel, not a corruption of the gospel. This word adorn comes from the Greek word cosmeo, and we get that our word cosmetics out of it. Now, when we think of cosmetics, we think of putting on makeup, putting on substances to increase or enhance our beauty. But this word cosmeo is used of arranging something, putting something in proper order, properly arranging it, and applying cosmetics are designed to highlight the features that bring out the beautiful traits of the person. But listen, what makes the church attractive to the world is not our programs and it's not our strategies. It is our lives. It's our lives. That's what's to be the adornment. It's not just strategies and programs. It's the way we live, the way we talk, the way we interact. Listen, Christians who apply the cosmetics of submission, excellence, compliance, honesty, and faithfulness are a beautiful thing to behold. Indeed, in them we behold God's very glory dwelling among men. Indeed, no person can talk about us. No person can refute our, our testimony if we are living in the power of the gospel. For there is one atheist who said, I can argue with these Christian apologists, but in our home is a little servant maid who is a disciple of Jesus. And the purity of life and the honesty and the virtue of that little maid in our home staggers me. It pulverizes me. See, when we live a viable witness of God's work in our life, He changes and transforms us from the inside out. And as He changes and transforms us into the image of Christ, He testifies to His goodness and grace in the midst of our community. How do you argue with a godly mother who gives herself to loving her husband and loving her children? How do you belittle a consecrated father who is a man beyond reproach? How do you put down the witness of a beautiful Christian worker in the midst of the workplace The unbelieving world may not read the fine print of any of our systematic theology books, but they read the bold type of our Christian life. What does your life say? It was Annie Johnson Flint who said it this way We are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given in deed and word. What if the print be crooked? What if the type be blurred? Listen, this morning, make a commitment not to let the print or the type of your life be slurred or crooked or blurred. For the world reads us more than they will ever read our Bible. And the question is, when they read the testimony of our lives, do they see the transforming work of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. We need to let our light so shine that in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, and in our city, that they may see our good works and glorify God who has changed and transformed us through the gospel. My question today is, are you a willing worker? Are you a devoted worker? Are you a willing witness for the work of Jesus Christ in the midst of our community. Because listen, if we're not living for Him every moment of every day, then our witness is not actually building the gospel up. It's tearing it down. Father, may You use us now. Father, to be a great and powerful force within this community. Father, that would testify to the changed life and changed heart that you bring about in our life. Father, we ask that as we come to this time of decision that we would observe our lives. Father, that we would ask that question, how would you have me live in the midst of my place of employment? Lord, how would you have me be a witness within the midst of my community? Father, in my family, in my home, in my church, and in my community, how can I best serve you and glorify you? Father, where is it that I'm holding part of me back? And Father... As you point out those areas, may you lead us to submit them to you. And Father, to find deliverance and freedom in the work of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for our hymn of invitation.